We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Pod Maverick. This is Kirk Henderson. I am re-airing a uh, special show that I recorded the day of Dirk's retirement of his jersey. It was this was back in early January of 2022. Uh, it was sort of a day where I didn't have much going on in my real job, so I contacted as many Mavs media and then media people at large that I could think of and recorded a number of like short seven to fifteen minute interviews, spliced them all together and ran them on the show. Um, it ended up being eight different folks: Jason Gallagher, then Matt Moore. Rob Mahoney of The Ringer, Bobby Corolla. Then there's going to be a short break uh, for ads. And then I um, decided to go ahead and include the short interview I did of Jonathan Sharks uh, about Dirk. You know, with his passing now, um, it felt a little a little odd to share it. But I decided I wanted to anyways just because he, he cared a lot about Dirk. And, you know, I don't think he'd mind. And Plus, it's just kind of nice to hear my old friend's voice. Uh, then we did Dalton Trigg, Tim Cato, and then lastly, Ben Collins of NBC News. Uh, this was a special show for me. I had fun doing it, and I really wanted to re-air it again. I don't often think that some of the work we do is outstanding. You know, it's a grind posting things, so sometimes, you know, things just get lost in the shuffle. But this felt like a really special show, and I wanted to share it with you again. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope you guys enjoy Dirk's Hall of Fame weekend, because it's it's something I think we've all earned, and you should... You should take joy in basketball stuff. All right, guys, we'll be back next week with more shows talking about the retirement ceremony itself. Thanks so much for listening. Everyone have a great weekend. I'm joined by my friend Jason Gallagher of all sorts of places. You've known him from his current work at Old Man and the Three and a number of other podcasts. What's the name of your network, Jason? I probably should have asked you that like before the show. <laughs> It's called the uh, 342 Productions. It's a production company. I don't know if I'd call it a network. It's a network. It's getting, it's, 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 you know, it has potential. Yeah. Yeah. It's You're a doing a ton of work. Yeah. 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 Uh, but it's 342 Productions. Uh, do that with JJ Reddick and Tommy Alter, Kylie Kilgore. It's fun. Well, and, and anyone, you know, J- Jason was a, a, a writer, co writer of, of, you know, our, our Hallelujah, which my five-year-old son doesn't understand that that's not the real version. Um, he, he Jason's just contributed so many things to our sports lives and including a lot of Dirk content over the years, which is why we're talking today because um, we're talking on January 4th and tomorrow night, Dirk's jersey is getting retired. 
uh, by the Mavericks after the game, which let me tell you, that's a choice. Um, but they couldn't do it before because of the way nobody in Dallas traffic would get there on time. They'd retire his jersey to like 35 people. So I just wanted to, to bring you on here and, and, and pick your brain a, a few minutes and hear what are some of your favorite Dirk memories? Like what are the things you like talking about and sharing with people in relation both to your time as like a fan and as your time doing, you know, media work? Sure. Um, you know, what's funny is Dirk is, is a huge reason why I got into this industry. Um, and I came to this revelation when I was thinking about his career, um, and everything like that. And he, he had, he had the kind of career, he was the kind of player that you cheer for that in the end, you kind of, you sit back and you say, I don't know if I'm ever going to experience a sports thing like that ever again. And I would say short of, uh, you know, your team being like a dynasty, I'm not sure any sports fan could ever really have a sports moment like the way that he provided in 2011. And so that, that to me is, um, is, is, is what I remember about Dirk is that he gave, he gave us like, I, I honestly am like, I don't watch sports the same way because Mm -hmm you know the investment that went into Dirk and the the trials and tribulations and and everything like that um that's that to me is what um is what really sticks out is that in terms of sports movie moments there are literally i mean he his his journey is like a top 5 all time in my opinion mm-hmm, and i mm-hmm. uh, consider myself very lucky to uh to be cheering for him during that time um, you couldn't have written it any better. You literally couldn't write that script any better. And again, that's why I got into this entire thing because it was such a, um, it was such a, it was such a story. It was a movie, you know. And and I think that um, I think that uh, the best screenwriters in the world could could not write that one. It's funny for men of a certain age and women of a certain age. Like Dirk's not that much older than us. Um, but he feels like he's just like omnipresent in my life where I mark things that were happening to me based on what the Mavericks were doing for almost 20 years. And it's just, it's so odd to, to think about it like that. And, and I think what's, what's been, you know, what hopefully won't get lost is just how he was, he's just such a normal dude. So many of the players today, I think they, they, because of social media and all this stuff, they, they they kind of have to be polished in a way that wouldn't, you know, Dirk was not, you know, he was just a dude. Like the photos I, I shared with someone yesterday, the photos that of him in like 2003, him and Nash like trashed out about town. Like that doesn't happen anymore. Like it might, but everybody takes phones and cameras away. It doesn't. So it's just, I, I really, and and his kind of impact on the community. I think that, that Luca kind of gets a bad, bad rap in this because he's not going to be Dirk. And Dirk adopted Dallas as much as Dallas adopted Dirk. And that's probably one of the the things that as we get further away from it, will stand out more. Yeah, totally. And, and, and it, it brings up the thing that I love about him is that it brings up a, a type of basketball dialogue. Like he represents a type of, of player. Like we have the debate all the time, KG or Dirk or, you know, Tim Duncan or Dirk or whatever. And I happen to have this like incredibly hot take that he was a better NBA star than just about anybody during his time, mainly because of what you're talking about. Because 
one, he has this incredible story. Two, he's as personable about it as, as any NBA player. And then three, the way he changed the game. Um, mm. So, so um, and so th- those for me are, are why I think he me- meant so much to the NBA. I'm not, not saying the others didn't. I mean, Tim Duncan's obviously uh, a lot, you know, you would say he had a better sure. career. But I think as, as you know, something that J.J. Raddick even says, you know, the NBA is an entertainment industry. And that guy, Dirk Nowitzki, was as entertaining as hell. And for that, um, I think that he, yeah, he, he will be remembered as much as anybody just simply because of how good of an NBA, like, star he was. I think well, that. I really like that that framing because he him getting picked as one of the ambassadors for the NBA's all 75th team, I think really speaks to how much of a forward facing and relatable guy he is. Because some of you know, I there was that video, you know, Kareem Abdul Jabbar had lots of really awkwardly nasty things to say about Dirk. Like he was it kind of like kind of talked about him like a professor. Like not, yeah. he didn't mean to be shitty, but Kareem's just kind of shitty sometimes. And, and then like Dirk and he had like this video that they filmed together where they're like talking and getting along and like Dirk just kind of has this effect on his peers where, you know, it always made me sad that nobody really wanted to ever team up with Dirk, but yeah. as is like his peers of the time. And even like guys like Michael Jordan saying that Dirk could play in in his era as we get further away, I think a lot of us are going to have to kind of fight for Dirk's legacy because he was simply one of the toughest, most respected, and most liked guys in the league. Yeah, I mean, fighting for his legacy is something that uh, you and I do on a because. <laughs> um, well, what's funny about him is that um, you know, at the Ringer, we I used to joke that we should do like this this debate show, like tag team debate, where we have like four because it was always split in the office. Dirk's place compared to his contemporaries and i uh you know he 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 was such a um what am i trying to say here okay so he basically the 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 value of what he did uh offensively sort of transcends a lot of like i i would say like typical basketball dialogue and so when we're fighting out here from on the streets i'll say that like I remember meeting with the GM during Dirk's quote unquote prime and him saying that you would take Dirk's offense over just about any other skill, any other day, because you can build around that. Um, And you can, and it's actually harder to achieve, you know, when you drop a, a half court play and everything breaks down, your like breakdown, like last minute option is to dump it to one of the best offensive players who can self-create a shot. You know what I mean? And that's that to me is like something that you can't, and yes, uh, other players were better at defense and yes, other players were this and that and the other, but I think that particular skill was at least at the time so desperately needed in the NBA. And he was one of uh, a tiny handful of players that actually could actually do it. Another really funny thing is that what is his prime? I mean, that's a funny question to me. because His basketball he- reference page is a wall of numbers that, with the exception of, like, two outlier years, his first and his last year, look the same. Yeah. and it, it, Like, anytime you get into this argument with people, they go, well, 2011 was amazing. And it's like, you have no idea. You have no idea. 2011, in my mind, is not his peak. I mean, it's his peak in terms of just 
story and 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 whatever. But he was he was unbelievable from like oh four to like two thousand nine, like unbelievable. Like and um, it's hard to 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 talk with people about that because he was also you know, I would say half the people on NBA Twitter probably weren't watching basketball in 2004, which is another part of the argument, which is super funny. But that dude, um, the fact that 2011 is considered his peak is is almost hilarious. He was 32. Um, He was 32 years old. And he was doing, he he obviously adjusted his game in a way that was probably, you know, he was definitely at his mental peak. That's like, there's no denying that. Um, But yeah, that's, that's what's so funny to me. Uh, about when you you know when you really talk about Dirk is you can't really define what his what his peak is, um, and I think the peak of what he does best uh, is a rare thing in the NBA, and it's really really hard to find. And I think that that's why that particular GM, which I will not name, said what he said. He was just like I like we our our game plan defensively against him is just him just shut him down like you have to shut him down and and there's only a handful of players that you can really do that with i think well we're gonna we're gonna do this again because dirk will go into the hall of fame relatively soon but the the you know there's a tweet that happened back in july that said dudes can literally just sit around and name old sports players and just have the best time that's what this is we're just going to talk about dirk and i appreciate you giving me part of your uh tuesday afternoon and uh i'll have you on again shortly because we need to talk mavs in general but for for now i i appreciate you taking time out of your out of your day i could do this all day i'm just letting you know (laughs) thank you jason gallagher all right we'll talk soon bye Welcome, Matt Moore of the Action Network joining us today. Matt, how are you? Doing well, man. How are you? I'm okay. I, I really, you know, thinking about Dirk because his retirement ceremony is tomorrow. And, you know, you and I didn't really become friends until after the 2011 championship. And I really wanted to get you on here because Dirk struck me as the kind of player that Matt Moore of the mid-2000s would have absolutely just loved watching and then argued for. So I wanted, you know was hoping to get kind of your thoughts on, you know, Dirk as a player impact, you know, what are some of your like favorite Dirk memories? Yeah, that everyone, the 2011 run is what made him because of the title and he was incredible. Um, for me, he was a big reason why I started writing about the NBA was that mid 2000s era with the Suns and the Mavericks and the Spurs gets lost to history and those those teams were great and the games were competitive and it was this new brand of like it was actually great offense which we suffered through a lot of years of really crappy offense and so um watching that Mavericks team with Josh Howard and Jet and and Dirk was really phenomenal and I remember I was um working in a pizza parlor running a poker game uh one night when the Mavs and Suns had a late regular season uh battle that went to like double or triple overtime and it was just like it was just bonkers the shot making was incredible it was this like gigantic matchup and watching Dirk really break the mold in those mid-2000s years like he was immediately not immediately the year was rough but like you know by 2004 it was like oh hey Dirk's like a problem (laughs) and then it kind of went from there um and he was good but there were all these questions and he was this player that's like okay is he too soft is he 
you know, why is it, you know, he can't play defense. He doesn't rebound enough, all these type of things. And just to see him have these massive scoring performances where he could absolutely just, and, and even the Spurs were so good and so great defensively. And you would just see that they're just like, there's nothing we can do with this guy. There's just nothing we can do with him. Um, there were so many amazing games that he had night after night after night. And it wasn't just like it is now where it's like pick and roll, shoot a three. Like it, it, it was this combination of moves and footwork and finding spots in the defense. And you couldn't do anything with him because of his size. Um, he was such a dominant player in a way that wasn't, we weren't used to seeing domination without that, the kind of physicality that centers had brought mm. like Jordan dominated, but it was a lot different. And Dirk dominated you just by like, there's nothing you can do against this guy. Um, and for me, my top memory actually does come from the 2011 experience because I covered, um, that was the first finals I ever got to cover. Oh, really? I don't think I knew that. Yeah. The first finals I ever got to cover was the 2011 finals. Um, I started with CBS in 2010 and the first one I ever covered was the 2011 finals. And it was an amazing experience. And I have a lot of stories from covering that one. But my favorite one is we're standing in line. There's this huge line of reporters outside the Mavericks locker room. This gigantic line outside the Mavericks locker room because everybody's waiting to get in. You got international media, all these people. And Dirk walks briskly by going to his interview and like his one-on-one ESPN interview and photo shoot with the finals MVP trophy. (laughs) And he's holding it as he walks by. And I've said this, I don't, I I still, to this day, I have never seen an NBA player look so happy. Not nobody, not LeBron after he won the first title, not, um, not Steph and the Warriors, not nobody has ever in my experience looked as happy in an NBA setting as Dirk looked at that moment. He was so, you knew how much it meant to him. He wasn't building a brand. He wasn't cultivating a lifestyle brand. Like he was, he was a, a player that had given so much to the game and come so close and been broken so many times. And to see him in that moment um, was really gratifying. It's it's something with him because I was just I just talked with Jason Gallagher a little bit ago, and we talked about how it's. Dirk is is a lot more respected by his peers than average than like the NBA fans of today would understand. You know, the basketball's changed a lot in the 10 years since the title with the way social media presents the game. And I don't think fans probably under the age of, you know, 25 to 28 would really grasp how how difficult Dirk's journey was. And it's yeah. it's something to watch. And I, I'm you know, his peers seem to really, really like him, and and him being selected to that, you know, the the ambassadors group of the the all NBA all seventy five team is really interesting, and it's just I I've been thinking about how his kind of legacy is going to age, and it's not it's just going to be so different from so many of his contemporaries because it, it's just he just played such a different game, like you mentioned. You mentioned that the other players liked him. I I think it's funny in that. Um, LeBron has alluded to this without ever saying it. There's like a club, right? Of the superstars and the guys that hang out with the other superstars. And Dirk obviously like hung out a lot. We have a lot of photos of his time with, uh, with Nash 
as proof of that. But he was always a player that did seem a little bit on the outside because he wasn't a member of that superstar club. He didn't yep. come up through AAU. He didn't come up through that whole system. And so um, he was appreciated. And I will say, like, his personality did shine through. Like, he seemed like a genuinely warm, good guy. What's funny is in that 2000s, that mid-2000s range, there were all these players. And it's funny seeing these same cycles repeat over and over again of guys who 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 fans just genuinely hated <laughs> and like just hated them because of their personas on the court and how good they were. And we've seen this over and over again with like Chris Paul and honestly like LeBron and Dwayne Wade. And we're seeing it with Russell Westbrook and um, Curry, I think to a lesser degree, he gets, he, he is pretty beloved. I think the people that, that hate him are very, uh, vocal, but in general, I think uh, Steph has a high Q rating. But like Draymond, uh-huh. or like kids um, love Steph Curry. Like that's yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we're seeing it like with like Trey Young now. Like there's just like all these people that fans come to really hate. And I think Luca will probably have his moment in that spot too once he has a, a team that's good enough to beat somebody in the playoffs. <laughs> and so um, you have to have that though. And that was the thing is like there there were people that that I remember being like I fucking hate Dirk Nowitzki. Mm-hmm. I hate Dirk Nowitzki, you know? Oh, just like, and you'd ask like, why he's, he's nice. And he's had such a great game. And they would just be like, Oh, just, he thinks he's so good. He's so pompous. And you, like anyone that, that has any sort of close attention to Dirk. Dirk Nowitzki was just like this humble dork who liked yeah, to play basketball. Yeah. yeah. And, and, but like, that's the whole thing is in your prime, you do have this different aura of villainous, you know, invincibility. Well, he was a killer. He was an absolute, like there was a two year stretch that coincided with some of Kobe's really great years where Dirk was absolutely murderous on the court. And I think a lot of people feel that that 2006 MVP shouldn't have gone to Dirk. I understand why not really here to debate that, but that just, uh, some of that sort of comes with it because his teams, when he was at his probably his basketball peak, his teams failed. And then, you know, he 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 had that sort of sojourn into the wilderness from 2008 to 2010, where the Mavericks were really, really good, but it didn't matter. And by that, you know, with the, the title run, that's that's why you talked about him being so so happy really matters a lot, at least to me, because it, it, he 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 had suffered a lot. He he'd really taken kind of a you know, a basketball hero's journey to get where they got and to see him finally win it was really, was really impactful. You know, I, I've, I have uh, continuously caped for that 2007 MVP. I've been like, you got like anyone that thinks that he was not the MVP that year is, is nuts. Like, he I mean, they went so... on, a, they won 50, they went on a 52 and four stretch. Yeah. <laughs> and what's crazy, I, I think it's, I always, I, I think about that, that year a lot because of a number of things, including, um, you know, like that broke Avery and that, you know, that was eventually the reason why he was let go. And a lot of, you don't come back mm-hmm. from that kind of collapse. You know, you, you lose in the finals and then you lose in the first round the year after. But like, I, I remember paying attention to the league at that time as closely as I did that you, you don't really understand how much of a perfect storm that Warriors series was. Yep. It, were, like, yeah, it was tough. It was an incredible moment, and everyone, I will say, like, everyone was kind of, outside of Dallas was kind of rooting for the Warriors just because, you no, know, we hadn't seen an eight upset of one in a long time. And so it was, like, this, this crazy thing, and the, and the Mavs just did kind of seem in, in 
Yeah, and that team was so crazy. It was just batshit crazy with Steven Jackson and Barrett Davis and like all these guys, um, Beedrins and all the rest. And so it, it was this really chaotic energy. But I, I just keep going back, and and every time I would think about it later, I'd be like, man, if they face anybody else, that Maverick team wins that title. Like that's what's kind of interesting to think about. Is the 2011 was so cathartic. Mm. beating Wade and LeBron, beating the triad heat, uh, you know, Dirk being sick, them making fun of him, all all that, the the whole story of the finals, it's a great story. But I do often think about like, what does it look like if Dirk, if they, if they don't get matched up with the Warriors, because anybody else, I do believe this, anybody else, and they are winning the title. As much as you could say like, well, that team was flawed. We say that when a team loses, and if they win, it's like, oh, they, nobody was beating them. And I'm yep. always like, well, no, that, that team could have lost. And <laughs> the teams that didn't win definitely could have won if they got in a different matchup. Um, but yeah, that 2007 year, I mean, you know, 25 and 9, 50, 42, uh, 90, a 50, 40, 90 MVP season. He was absolutely ridiculous. And yeah, like after that, they were really lost in the wilderness until the big new jersey trade and yep. that was that was kind of like when they flipped into a new era and then they got it together in, in 2011 but i always think it's crazy that everyone's kind of like well 2011 was his best season i'm always like okay so you just didn't watch him in the mid-2000s then you just watched the finals right because dirk was was great in 2011 because that mavericks team was great in 2011 and like you look at the numbers and like dirk's still in, in 2011 you know, 23 on seven uh, on 52, 39, uh, 89. Still phenomenal number. <laughs> season. But like, I will say that he wasn't as dominant in 2011. The Mavericks were dominant because they, they hit you in so many different ways. Yep. And a lot of that is they were able to do that because of how Dirk played. And because Dirk never, I'll say this, Dirk never got in the way of his team winning. Yep. That's a big deal to me. Is that you never watched it and were like Dirk was the reason that they didn't win. Like they were flawed because Dirk couldn't change or or because of the X, Y, or Z. There's a lot of superstars, especially today, that I could tell you, like, no, like when push came to shove, it was their uh weaknesses, whether on the defensive end or playmaking, that kept them from it. And even though Dirk wasn't this masterful, you know, playmaker passer, he never held the Mavericks back. And and that's something that I think gets lost at time is how much all of their failures, you were never able, you could point to like, well, he had a bad quarter, he had a bad game or whatever. It, it, the team was never fundamentally vulnerable because of Dirk. Yep. Well, Matt, this has been exactly what I'd hoped for. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to talk to me. No problem, man. Thanks for having me. All right. Talk soon. Now I'm joined by Rob Mahoney of The Ringer. Rob, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Good. With Dirk retiring tomorrow, I wanted to bring on some of my friends, and, or not retiring, it's Jersey getting retired, and talk a little bit about Dirk. And you are probably one of, of the people I associate the most with Dirk, just because I read uh, the two-man game way back in the day. And I wanted to to ask you, just, you know, with now that we've had some, some time away from Dirk, um, what are your sort of like lasting memories of the enormous Dirk Nowitzki era? Oh, that's a big question. I mean, <laughs> to, to your point about uh, about the two-man game, I mean, I've written about basketball for a long time. I would imagine I've written more about Dirk than any other player in NBA history that I've ever written about. Uh, just by by virtue of writing about the Mavericks for so long, 
and the fact that he, that those things were synonymous, right? The idea of writing about the Dirk, writing about Dirk, and writing about the Mavs were one and the same. And to me, that's that's the whole thing right there. Is for a player who was totally revolutionary in the way he played the game, was almost unbelievably stable in terms of what he offered on the court and what he offered to an organization. You just don't see that. Like when guys come come along and play a position a different way. There's usually a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of instability that comes with figuring out, like, what does it mean to build around, you know, a, a player who's doing something totally different than we've ever seen before. And Dirk had all of those growing pains, all of those bumps, all of those weird rosters around him. Do we play him with a center? Do we not? What kind of point guard works with him? What doesn't? Um, I mean, played with some just unbelievably uh, ill-equipped rosters, you know, in terms of what he was given relative to other stars, and yet. Top 10 offense every year, often a top five offense for the majority of his prime, 50 wins every season, uh, the expectation of being in the playoffs every season. That just does an unbelievable thing for a team as a franchise when you're able to do both of those things at once. And I, I don't know when the last time we saw that was and when we'll ever see it again in terms of someone being both so stable and so revolutionary at the same time. I mean, the only real comparison that comes to mind for me is Steph Curry there's really might not be anyone else that's actually close because of stability to an organization. And then like just the sheer sense of, of how he played the game differently in a way that took fans and analysts a long time to come around on. And, and I just had uh, our, our friend Matt Moore on a little while ago, and he talked about how those, you know, the, the Suns, Mavs and Spurs of kind of the early to mid two thousands were or what he considers like some of his favorite time, like watching basketball as a fan and then what forced, which resulted in him, you know, dipping his toes into the writing. And it's just, it's, it's one of these things where, you know, the, the NBA era has changed and you don't really notice it until after it's gone. And, and as you know, with, with Dirk's Jersey retired, he's only been gone from the game for a while. I think there's just like a whole generation of fans who may not ever entirely understand why Dirk was so important, but also, and also why Dirk was so good. Yeah. It's one of those things where longevity, I feel like is one of the hardest things to convey. Like you can talk about someone's peak, you can show them clips, you can give it a, get a sample of how good someone was, but to understand that they were that good for more than a decade, for 15 years, for you know almost 20 years in the case of guys like Dirk and now LeBron, for example, it's just impossible to convey to somebody who wasn't there to to absorb the volume of it. That's the kind of tricky thing. And I think part of the reason why those conversations get complicated and why players and stars, especially sometimes get underappreciated is the idea that like, if you're plugging away at it for so long and you don't get to a finals or you don't get to a championship or you don't win an MVP or whatever, whatever kind of arbitrary metric you want to set, that there must be something wrong with them. Um, but the reality of it, and I think history has kind of shown this with Dirk, especially as we look back, uh, is that he was very rarely the problem. Oh, seriously. <laughs> he was very rarely the problem with anything. Oh, you're good. With anything <laughs> that was going on in Dallas. And so the idea that you can have a player who is performing at that kind of level at, if not an MVP level, then certainly an all-star, all-NBA type level for so long, um, something that's probably washed out a little bit by the fact that he played in, er in an era with Duncan and Weber and Garnett, and those guys were just like fighting for, for accolades all the time. But it, it, when, you, when you look back at the larger body of work, and I think especially for the people who lived through it, 
it's almost easy to take for granted in some ways, but it's indelible in terms of the impact it can have on, as you're saying, not only the Mavericks and what they do and all the players and coaches and people who came through, but as a fan, you know, and, and someone, an observer of the game, the way it informs the way you look at the whole sport and what you expect and what you think is reasonable. Like winning 50 games every season for a decade plus is not a thing that teams do. And yet it's a thing that the Mavericks <laughs> did with her. It's so funny you say that because I was, you know, it's not to pivot to this year's Mavericks, but this year, I think everyone that watched the Mavs had higher expectations just because that's the way sports expectations go. And then you have a superstar and Dirk really just, he raised the floor of the Mavericks so regularly, regardless of who was on the team. I mean, it's really funny going through some of the basketball reference pages at, at certain points where, and it's not so much the, the 2000s, it's the post-championship years are really kind of lost gems with Dirk because they, they, he just drug teams to the playoffs. Oh, yeah. Li- <laughs> the, the series they are, the one game they won in Oklahoma, which I want to say was 20, is it 2012 or 2014? I can't remember which year. But it's like the only playoff game they won for a really long time. And Dirk's just a key part of it. And he's he's just he's mixed up with so much of my basketball and kind of like my my life memory at points where, you know, now that now that I've had some time away from from not being able to watch Dirk, which has been a little sad. Um, it's really just remarkable how much of an impact he had on how I think about basketball. Totally. And I think that signposting your life through sports is such an interesting thing, right? Like I was just watching the uh, the Harry Potter reunion special on HBO and those actors were talking about like, oh, I, I remember when I got my driver's license because it was during Goblet of Fire or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, my life very much aligns in that way with growing up in Dallas as someone who lived and died at that point in time in my life with the Mavericks. I graduated high school in 07. Uh, I graduated college when I was covering the team in 2011. So it's like there's these kind of clear markers in terms of where I am relative to where the Mavericks were at that time uh, that makes it hard, as you're saying, to separate like what you, your own experiences are from what where the team was, whether you're a fan, whether you're a media member, whatever. Like I think it's very natural to kind of anchor it in that way. And the fact that there was one player, and in, in the Mavs case, often a lot of players who were hanging around for – five, eight years at a time. Um, it was one, just such a different era in terms of player turnover. But even now, like, you know, there's a reason why guys like Steph are so singular, why guys like Kobe Bryant with the Lakers were so singular. Like it's, there's just a different kind of relationship you can develop by being in one place for such a long time. And I don't mean to over glamorize it. Like that comes with its own issues and its own complications. And I think going a different route can be just as viable depending on what you want. But uh, it's not an accident that pretty much as soon as Dirk retired, a lot of things around the Mavs, even with Luca there, started to kind of spin in a different direction. Like, you know, Rick Carlisle is a very a very challenging guy to play for, as we've seen with the way he's interacted with the Mavericks players. And yet with Dirk, it seemed pretty easy. You know, his relationship to Jason Kidd was whatever it was, Carlisle's, I mean. But Dirk, like that, as far as superstars go, just as coachable as they come, as patient as they come. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I think the Curry comparison you brought up is super apt, just which are, in terms of as a culture setter and as a guy who can kind of grab uh, the fabric of your organization and hold it together for a long time. I think those guys have a lot in common. Yeah. It's really something because I know I have a lot of 
you know, we were within the same age range. And I know a lot of, of friends that were basketball, huge basketball fans that simply have dropped off in the post Dirk era because you, you don't, you're not going to have a relationship like that again. Um, I know you had already transitioned to covering the, you know, basketball professionally. So your, your relationship changes at that point anyways, just cause you're, you're so stuck in basketball. But I just, I, I know our, our Andrew Tobolowski once told me that he's just like, I'm never going to look at basketball the same way again. I can't do it. And that's just the sort of impact and relationship that, uh, that something like 21 years in a uniform while also being just so good can, can do for, for a team and a franchise. And you hope that, that today's fans get some version of that, right? Like yep. it's going to be a little different. It's going to be shaped and, and the texture of it. Like it's all, it's all going to change. But, you know, there's somebody growing up watching Giannis right now who's having an incredible formative basketball experience. And there have obviously been people watching Steph and having that experience. And there are people with their own version of that with LeBron or with KD. Mm-hmm. Um, it, they just kind of transport with those players to different teams and they see different things. It's, it's, a, it's a totally different viewpoint, but – you know, you you latch on to stars at a certain age in your fandom and they're always going to change the way you look at what players should and shouldn't do and the way they should and shouldn't act. Um, and if you were lucky enough to be in Dallas or following the Mavs and have that kind of relationship watching Dirk, I think you're in a great place for it. I think it's just an incredible example and testament to like to what people can do on an individual and talent level, but also the capacity for change and evolution and patience and loyalty if you're into that sort of thing like you can take again take this in a lot of different directions based on your value system um but just an unimpeachable player just an unimpeachable winner when given shitty hands when given great hands i mean we're just talking about one of the most revolutionary and productive and clutch players to ever play the game like you can't ask for more than that as a basketball fan and I can't ask for more of your time. Rob, thank you so much for taking time out of your, your Tuesday afternoon to talk a little Dirk with me. Hey, anytime, Kirk. You guys can find Rob's work at The Ringer. Rob, we'll talk with you soon. Up next, we have here Bobby Corrale. Y'all should know Bobby for his work with Mavs.com, but Bobby has been a Mavs aficionado for as long as he has been alive. Uh, I believe his mom worked for the team or maybe still works for the team. He covered uh, the Mavericks with me at, uh, it was either the two-man game or Mavs Outsider. I can't even remember at this point. So I wanted to have Bobby on because Bobby has covered the Mavs both outside and within. And Bobby, how are you today? I'm good, Kirk. How are you? And it was the Mavs Outsider Report days. I missed the two-man game, sadly. It was just right before my time. Well, all this stuff starts to blend together. And, you know, you have a truly unique perspective compared to everyone else I've had on because you've gotten to see Dirk up close in moments that, you know, that the rest of us haven't because you've been with the team. And I was wondering if if you w- might be willing to share, you know, what are some of your favorite Dirk memories that might not be, you know, okay, the championship and the MVP and yada, yada, yada. Um, I mean, I think like the prevailing Dirk memory for me, not, not so much a, a story. I mean, I do have some stories, but kind of the, the general Dirk sort of whole vibe is that he was extremely competitive on the floor, but he was such a good guy off of it. Right. And usually that manifested itself in the, in the form of like, you know, compassion or, or like, you know, generous charitable donations or whatever, but also like he was just a hilarious guy. <laughs> and there was one example that really stands out to me. It was the first season that I was working for the team full time. So this is 2015, 16. And 
It was right at the end of the year. It might have even been the last road game of the season. It was like right at the very end of the 2015-16 year. And uh, we were on the bus on the way to a game in Utah, road game. And uh, I sit down on the bus, and I'm always on the bus before the players are. And, you know, usually players will sit a few rows behind me. But for whatever reason, all the rows were taken up. So I was toward the back of the bus. Players were sitting right behind me. And uh, so in comes Chandler Parsons, sits down in the row right behind me. In comes Dirk, sits in the row right next to Parsons. So they're both, you know, within five feet of me. And midway through the bus ride, Parsons just pokes me on the shoulder. And basically for the rest of the 10 or 15 minutes on the bus, him and Dirk are just taking turns, taking taking shots at my appearance, making fun of my hair, making fun of my polo, making fun of my pants, making fun of my glasses, my beard, literally everything. Just taking turns one one by one. It was a dunk contest to see who could give me the, the, the most or the worst. And I was like, you motherfucking, you know, like, shouldn't you be paying attention to the, the game? But sure enough, they go into Utah that night and Dirk has a great game. They win and they clinch a, a playoff spot. I mean, that's just... That's what he did. He would go into the gym, do his business. They would usually win, you know, more often than they lose. And then he'd come on the bus and, you know, make fun of some crazy fan or make fun of some crazy play that happened or at the hotel. You know, he'd be like, you know, after after the game, we go into the, the ballroom and there's always a meal and it's always chicken, mashed potatoes and broccoli. I mean, that just is what it is. Dirk would walk into the room and he'd always look to the employees and say, let me guess, chicken, potatoes, broccoli and a roll and he'd you know flip open the things be like oh i'm right again you know i mean just always just making fun of everybody and everything uh but in such like a trivial way i mean you could never get upset about it because i mean you're just you're too busy laughing right along with him seem like seem like a proponent of dad jokes dirk Nowitzki. oh absolutely absolutely he's definitely the kind of guy that'll be like see you next year on december 31st I may have done something just like that recently. Well, the the other thing I wanted to ask you is now that we've we've had some time in hindsight, I wanted to know what your favorite part was of the dirt of of y'all of the Mavs really amazing Dirk retirement ceremony because I've been watching videos, you know, our site's been putting together, you know, certain things and like I came across the Uncle Dirk video narrated by by Brad Townsend and just I mean, it's just such a moving evening. And I wanted to know what was, what part was your favorite? Man, okay, so there were two. First off, just having Detlef in the building, Detlef in particular, you know, as, as kind really of cool. the German predecessor. Yeah, that was really special. And, um, you know, like you were saying, my mom used to work for the Mavs and, and she was with the team way back in the early 80s when there was like 10 employees. And so, um, you know, she and my dad actually got to know Detlef very well. So it's really cool to see there be kind of such a strong connection between uh, Det and Dirk and kind of Germany just in general. Uh, but having Bird there and Pippen and Barkley and Sean Kemp, I mean, that was freaking awesome. And there was very, very low number of people that knew that that was going to happen. I mean, it was a surprise to almost everybody. And so whenever I was lucky enough to find out about that, I had to basically sign a blood oath not to, <laughs> not to divulge that information. So that was a lot of fun uh, to kind of be a part of. But, you know, the, the number one thing was the Uncle Dirk video. Um, I watched it that morning in the office. I got to the office really early that day. And uh, flipped it on at my desk. I was just running through everything that we were going to show. And I just started sobbing at my desk at like 8 in the morning. You know, I'm just crying like a baby. And um, we get to the arena that night. And it plays at the arena. And, of course, 20,000 people are sobbing like children. And then, you know, Dirk emerges from the huddle. And even he's crying. And and that was really, you know, kind of a... It was a very moving thing to see him 
brought to tears you know all the other stuff that we were showing that night that was super emotional and really cool but like that was the one thing that really broke him um that was a very powerful moment and and just shows like how much he really does care about helping people and and how seriously he takes his his role as like a a leader off the floor and kind of as a role model and hero to people um but also it just drove home the fact like so many people feel like they can identify with Dirk because he is such a normal dude, you know? Um, there's mm-hmm. nothing that seems super special about him athletically, but also, I mean, more importantly, personality-wise. And so, you know, whenever you are watching this video of him, um, you know, playing with with sick and ill and, and you know, children that are experiencing things that none of us have ever had to go through before, uh, and then you look down at the court, and he's got 30 points, but, like, he's too busy crying to think about how good of a game he's having. Like, it just... You, we feel like we can connect with him in a way that we just simply have never been able to with any other uh, superstar caliber player, certainly in Dallas, but arguably around the rest of the league too. I mean, it's just such a such a special connection that we feel to Dirk and that Dirk feels to us, but also we see so much of ourselves in him. And this goes back to, you know, his story kind of being one of failure, right? Like his whole career mm-hmm. was climbing this mountain um, and and never getting any closer. In fact, many times getting further from the peak as his career went on and then he was finally able to get there. And like so many of us feel like things that we've had to overcome in our life uh, are, are, are carry themselves out in that same way. So I don't know. That was a very long winded way of saying the uncle Dirk video was awesome. No, it's absolutely outstanding. That's what I, why I wanted to bring you on the, the servant leadership that Dirk basically lived by for, for his entire career is, is something that really stands out to me. And the other thing that I think is really sort of underrated and as as I move further into covering basketball as less a fan and more of a you know it's kind of a job now I guess it matters. Well you're a check mark now Kirk. Uh, <laughs> that happened kind of without my uh without my deal but you're one it, of us man get get over it. <laughs> I earned that didn't I? Um I think it's really cool how much Dirk has absolutely adopted Dallas in North Texas. And it's just so it's just so uncommon with the with the way teams and players move around. It's they have the ability to, they have the freedom. And you know, he came here and he talked about it today in his press conference. I've only heard a little bit of it, but he 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 talked about how it was just such a new experience. And he has the way he's made this place his home. As I get older, and particularly now that I'm back in the area for the first time in 20 years, it feels so special that he that he's done that. And it's something that I really love about him. Well, and for him, I mean he's such a simple guy and I don't mean that as an insult. I mean, he'll tell you like the reason that he loved the playoffs so much was because it was warm outside, you know, and, and he liked Dallas because he could go out to eat and like not be bothered all that much. You know, he was just such a, such a simple, easygoing kind of to himself, um, you know, really um, introverted by nature kind of guy, even though he was a big jokester that, you know, despite all of the, all of the posh and newness of Dallas and now it's kind of a, a a big big club city more than you know what it really ever has been there's a, a whole lot going on at night nowadays but um you know it is a very it's a it's a it's a city that is a very big city but you can feel kind of like it's a small town um and I think that that fits with his personality in ways that you know where he to have gone to like the Knicks or the Lakers or the Heat or something like in in a more kind of hustling and bustling town I don't know if it would have blended as well and I think Jokic is kind of that same way and Denver fits that perfectly too and we saw him talk about uh, that was cool last night after the game yeah that was great so I think like 
I don't know, in a way, you know, we're obviously very lucky to have gotten to watch Dirk, but I think Dirk was kind of lucky that he ended up here and not, I mean, even in a place like Boston where everyone is just crammed together so much more, there's not as much privacy, not as much sort of peace mm-hmm. and quiet. And I think that those are things that Dirk really values a lot. Well, Bobby, this has been exactly what I had hoped for. Thank you so much for taking time out of your Tuesday afternoon. Absolutely, man. Thank you for having me. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. <laughs> now we're joined by Jonathan Sharks of The Ringer. Jonathan, how are you today? I'm good. Uh, my son's actually playing on me. He's here and he's giggling going on. What's happening? Hey. You know what? That's okay, because what I wanted to talk with you about is something that really uh, tra- uh, I wanted to talk to you about Dirk today. And Dirk, you know, the, the, he's he's been a part of our lives as as long as any family member in some circumstances. So um, what I wanted to ask you just in a few minutes is is to, to you know, if you could kind of walk me through, you know, your what you think about when when you think about Dirk Nowitzki. Oh, my gosh, it's hard to hard even know where to start, you know. Watched him play for 20 years. Uh, trying to think the best way to – I would say ultimately, I think with Dirk, what I, 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 I always go back to is this is a guy who saw the game in a different way than anybody else saw it. Him, I guess Dirk and Holger to an extent, right? Mm-hmm. He was right, and literally everyone else was wrong. <laughs> You've got to respect that, right? Like, I think – as a big man, I should play this way. And everyone thought he was insane. And no one thought he could do it. He was doubted the whole time. Kind of like Steph in a way, I guess. Mm-hmm. He's like, no, actually, I'm right and the whole world is wrong. And let's be honest, most times in life, when somebody has an attitude, they're a complete crazy person and you shouldn't listen to them at all. But every once in a while, they're actually right and everyone else is wrong. And that was their so you've been covering basketball for a pretty long time. Did do any Dirk games in particular stand out for you that you actually got to cover in person? Um. Well, I, I really got into journalism after college, which is like 2010-11. I mean, the mm-hmm. Dirk game for me will always be the San Antonio game. Oh, 2006. 2006. Mm. That's the one. That's the OG Dirk game. That's the game for me, at least as a fan, where I said, okay. I'm riding with Dirk from now on. Because, you know, before that, can he win? Is he tough enough? Blah, blah, blah. Is he clutch? Blah, 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 blah. That was the game. Game seven, on the road, overtime, defending champions, San Antonio Spurs, down three, 10 seconds left. I mean, like, it's just unbelievable. Like, that, that was truly 
the and one on Ginobili. It's just, you know, that's what sports is all about, man. That was truly incredible stuff. Well, and that basketball series is is kind of widely regarded for particularly people like kind of within all our age range. That that series was one of the best playoff series in twenty no years. I, I mean, mean I just, think wasn't that the one where like every game was at the buzzer, the ball was in the air. I think so. I think so. And it was and like, like six or seven games. There was it, it, all, seven games. Yeah, seven <laughs> games on the road. Um. What else did I want to ask you? Because I was just really excited that you were actually able to to join me on such short notice. Um, was there was there anything about Dirk's game that you particularly latched on to? Because he's such a he was kind of a malleable player. You know, it's interesting you talked about how you know Holger had him playing outside, but then you know like Avery eventually got his butt you know post adjacent, and it's really interesting like where you could really map out Dirk's career into three distinct phases. Yeah. Um, in terms of like the way he played, I could never really shoot, so I was never. It never Same. really worked for me as in terms of a, as a player. So I was like, well, this is the whole thing. I don't have this guy's game. Um, I don't know. It's a tough question. Like, what exactly are you asking? I guess I'm asking like which part of Dirk's game was was the most entertaining to you because he did a lot of things. Oh. You know, he shot some threes. The fadeaway is kind of an iconic thing. I think Dirk's like the thing that I that I kind of point to when I talk to to younger people about Dirk, you know, on the Mavs Moneyball staff, is that he was actually like b- like shockingly athletic in a way that gets yes, forgotten. Yeah. I mean, I I feel like basketball to me ultimately is game of athleticism. I love the early Dirk run and gun. Remember that series against KG where he dropped like forty on them and they like yeah. blew. that was a, I think that was their first series they won. And they were so fast, and like Dirk was just running around the court like full speed. That was awesome. I was yeah. that was definitely not the best version of Dirk, but it might have been the most fun version of Dirk. Because he really, you know, it, it's like every time Dirk dunked in the later years, it was almost kind of a, a joke. But early Dirk would dunk on dudes with authority. He was not afraid of contact. He was not afraid of 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 getting bumped and and it's the sort of thing that gets lost because he he's such a prolific mid-range shooter but once he really settled down and he realized he probably shouldn't be taking that kind of physical contact he it's it's that part of the you know probably i want to call it like you know 2000 to maybe 2004 dirk was just so frighteningly athletic yeah it's funny because every jump shooting big man always gets tagged as soft and, you know, sometimes it's true. And it's hard to know sometimes. Like, sometimes for me, I get, I get caught in the trap the other way because I remember how often Dirk was called soft. And I'm like, yeah. I don't know about this. But sometimes jump shooting big men are soft. Yeah. Sometimes European players are soft. But he was not one of them. Remember all his teeth got knocked out all those times? Yeah. He'd always go, go to the cup hard. He eventually wore the mouthpiece. See, now, you, now my dog is barking at me. This is just great audio content for the, for the people out there. Um, it's it's going to be the nature of things. But, yeah, well, you know, I just – I love talking about Dirk. And this this retirement, this jersey retirement ceremony has sort of snuck up on me because I was very – I was getting into uh, – I was just mainly focused on making it to Christmas. And then all of a sudden it's New Year's. And now, now he gets to play. Um, they're going to do the jersey retirement after the Warriors game. And – I think there's a little bit of, you know, you mentioned Steph earlier. That's somebody I've, I've talked about with a couple of people today. I really actually think it's neat that they're doing uh, the ceremony with the Warriors uh, or playing the Warriors because Steph Curry and Clay Thompson, to a slightly lesser extent, are such 
interesting game breaking shooters that you know and and there was i think it was the 2014 all-star game where um dirk got an alley oop from them for a dunk and there's this crazy photo of all three of them standing together with dirk pointing to the sky i I I remember this yes i remember that i know what you're talking about someone and i don't remember who but made a meme that said splash father with splash brothers and it's just (laughs) i just i really love it so I'm, i'm kind of excited to see them because like curry it seems to and Draymond Green too. Like that team is filled with guys and Steve Kerr that have like a a real appreciation for basketball history. And so it's just it's kind of neat that they're doing it with with some some additional luminaries in the building. Are, are you going to be able to make it to that game? Yeah, I'll be at that one. I mean, you know, they've got a they're milking the Dirk thing as long. Then they have a day where they gave him the. They'll have a day where they gave him the street. Yep. They'll have a day where they give him the statue. They'll have a day where they retire the jersey. But I love it. Milk it all you want. Some things deserve to be milked. You know. Couldn't agree more, man. All right, I will let you get back to your to your Tuesday evening. Thank you so much for taking the, the time to talk to me, John. Yeah, thanks for having me on. And, yeah, Dirk Forever, man. It's good stuff. Hello, everybody. This time I'm joined by Dalton Trigg, newly installed editor-in-chief of DallasBasketball.com. How you doing, Dalton? Man, I'm doing pretty good. It's uh, It's already been a very busy week, but, you know, that was a really fun uh, Mavs Nuggets game. and. You know, the Mavs have won three straight games for the first time since, I believe, early November. You know, so thing, things are good right now. I'm I'm having a blast. Well, I didn't even prime you for what I wanted to talk to you about. That's how good of a friend you are coming on the show this quickly. Yeah. <laughs> so I've been talking to people all day long about Dirk, and you were an ideal person to talk to about Dirk. And my question for you, because I don't entirely think I've, I've ever actually heard this story, is how the heck did you come to be a Mavs fan, and how did you how did you come to be such a big Dirk fan? Well, it's 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 a couple things. So, I have my, the family business. My my dad he was about thirty three when uh, he was in the cattle business with my grandparents, and you know at a certain point he just said, "I don't want to do this anymore. I want to you know." go into uh, you know selling trailers and stuff of that nature so uh, he started doing that uh, it started off small but it started to pick up a little bit and you know uh, when I was growing up in you know elementary school middle school every other weekend we were you know I live in Mississippi but we were driving out past the, the Dallas Fort Worth area every other weekend and uh, you know, I had I had watched the Mavs on TV, and you know, I was familiar with the Dirk Nash family Finley teams and everything. But you know, I had never actually been to a game, and you know, we 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 went out that way so often that it was natural that I just attached myself to them. And you know, as you know, the Cowboys as a byproduct of that, but mostly the Mavs because I've always been a big basketball guy. So, uh. Long story short, we we were going through, we were coming back through uh, Dallas one time, and we just happened to see a billboard, and it was like, Mavs are playing tonight, and it was against the Suns, and you know, I, I had no idea it was it was Game Five of the Western Conference Finals at that point, you know. <laughs> I, I I I didn't know that, you know. We were going to end up going through, and you know, it was one of those things like, "Hey, let's go see if we can get some tickets off the street." And we found a scalper. We got some tickets. Uh, it was nosebleeds, but it was like right in the center, so it was still a great view. And 
it just so happened that Dirk dropped 50 on the Suns that night, and it was just an incredible experience. Uh, I think that was the moment where, you know, I went from, you know, casual fan to diehard. <laughs> How did I not know this? I talk to you every day for like five years. I have never heard this story. Well, this and funny enough, when I when I when I left Mavs Moneyball and started with Fish at, at DallasBasketball.com, it was uh, it was when they were still when we were still with Twenty Four Seven Sports. And that was one of my first pieces, you know, it's like how, how I got to this point. <laughs> I have to go back and find it and share the link, but okay, uh, I did know, write about okay. it. Okay, I, I remember this now. I just guess we've never actually talked about it, which is kind of a different right. deal. Right, right. But that, that's, that's kind of where it took the leap from, uh, you know, from casual fan to die hard and then, you know, I I was watching when I when I graduated uh, from Southern Miss in 2016. I was I had a I had some extra time on my hands, you know, after work and everything. And I was watching every Mavs game, regardless. And right. I was just like, you know what, I'm I'm not the greatest writer, but you know I'm I, I like to write and I like the Mavs. Let's let's put this together and see where it goes. And it's it's been a fun five to six years. Well, okay, so if you were to, you know, you're talking to a stranger. You're talking to somebody who you, you, you kind of know. Your wife drags you to a dinner party. They find out you write about basketball, and they find out you're a big Mavs fan. What is your kind of go-to story or memory about your Kaminsky that you most enjoy sharing with people? Well, it, it depends on if it's on court or off court. But I mean, obviously, I, I I love to go with the off court story. I've shared it with you multiple times. I, I even we did a roundtable earlier today on the site, and uh, you know, I put that as my my favorite dirt memory. But you know, uh, given where I live, I'm an hour and a half from New Orleans. I go down there to every single Mavs Tales game. Uh, I've been doing that since about 2013 when I realized just how cheap tickets were down there <laughs> you know well before the media stuff and uh, you know when we went down there we would sit pretty close behind the Mavs bench and there were a handful of times where we got to meet Dirk and he was super nice and real down to earth you know all the Dirk stories you hear I mean everything's true I mean he just he lives up to all of that. He's he's so humble and so nice to everybody. You know, he treats everybody like he's their best friend. So that was always nice. So when my wife and I were engaged, it was the day after Christmas in 2016, uh, she was just like, let's give Dirk our wedding invitation. It's like, obviously, we know he's not going to come, but, you know, because it's in, in the season and everything. But it's like, let's just, let's just give it to him. It'd be a nice gesture. So we gave him our wedding invitation and you know, he acted like he was happy to get it and everything, and then he went back into the locker room <laughs> after warm-ups. And, we're, and, you know, in the back of my head, I mean, I'm thinking, like, you know, he could just disregard this and, like, throw it in a trash can in the locker room, and we would never know. And, <laughs> you know, everybody just go on with their lives. And then right. two, two weeks later, we get the invitation back in the mail, and he signed it, and he wrote, congrats, all the best, and – like that just floored me. Like, That's really cool. Like, 
I think like, I've heard I just, that too, but it, it it's left my brain after so many years. That's great. That I mean, and honestly, didn't didn't expect anything from it. We didn't ask him to sign it. We didn't ask him to go through whatever method he went through to get it mailed back to us. I mean, nothing. Right. It's just, I mean, yeah, we just yeah. we just handed it to him. He went back in the locker room, and then two weeks later, it showed up in the mail. And we were just like, wow. Love so I mean, that. he he didn't have to do that, and. It was a simple gesture, but it was kind. And I mean, it's they say you never want to meet your heroes, but I, I disagree with that uh, with Dirk Nowitzki. He is 100% who we think he is. Love it, Dalton. This is why I wanted to have you on. Thank you for taking time out of your Tuesday and talking with me, man. No problem, man. I I hope the rest of this season, you know, picks up and keeps going the way it has these last three games. It should be a fun one. That's right. We'll talk soon. Have a good one. Now we're joined by the Athletics, Tim Cato. Tim, how are you today? I am doing great, Kirk Henderson. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for taking time out of your Tuesday to talk to me. I I, I have to ask, so when did you first start covering games in person? I don't remember. It was was the 2012-13 season. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Okay. So that was kind of a... That was one of the more chaotic, you know, this year probably rivals it. But that was one of the more chaotic years. Because wasn't that the year where Eddie Curry started at center? I think I think it was. It was. And, and I'll be honest, I was, it was probably fair to say I was a, uh, a very stretch of the definition of the term reporter or journalist at that point. Sure. I probably went to about 10 home games. Every home game I went to felt like I was entering a new universe. I had not learned the rules or the environment. I was um, I was literally learning journalism at my student newspaper as I was driving to games every so often. Uh, I, I went to some more games the, the 13, 14 season. And by the 14, 15 season, I would say I was actually in the locker room asking questions, um, being present. Dirk knew my face. Um, since I know we're really focusing on him, yes. Um, but but yeah, I, I was I was in the locker room a couple seasons before that. Uh, but in terms of being someone that could build and relationships and hold rapport with players, that that didn't come for a few seasons later. As I quite frankly grew as a person, yeah. No, that's 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 when you're 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 grinding for a while. So with that in mind, what's sort of the the first? like professional Dirk related memory that you have Uh, and you know thinking about it in the vein of you know covering games and actually getting to ask him stuff okay I have two Um, the first one is a so this would have been 2014 Uh, it would have been the 2014 series against the Spurs that went to a game seven Um, this wasn't a this wasn't one where I asked him a question and got some reply back and it just stuck with me forever but I, um, I, was, I was in the locker room for game seven. I, I drove down to San Antonio. I had actually just broken up with my, uh, with my college girlfriend, my first college girlfriend the day before. Um, I do remember that for, for some fun color to add to this. And um, I'm in the locker room and we all remember that series. And, you know, Vince had hit the shot earlier and the Mavericks maybe had a chance if Dewan Blair hadn't been suspended. and. By the end of it, it's really clear. The, the, the feeling around the Mavericks is really clear that 
even going into that series, okay, yeah, everybody knew that Dirk was running out of chances. But once that series, once the Mavericks went up 2-1 in that series, and I think then came back to 3-3, there was kind of a what if, like, oh, maybe maybe he's going to get at least one more run. Um, and when he lost that game seven, we all, you know, we all knew. We all knew what was going to happen. Right. Uh, they lost a couple more first round series and then they spiraled into a toilet. And we all have discussed at length everything that happened. But but even then in 2014, we kind of knew. And I think Dirk knew. Functionally, he knew in that game, in that locker room. He was the only person who went to the press conference room to talk after that game seven. And it, it was a blowout. It was just a, it was a defeat. It was, it was obvious by like halfway through the third quarter, the Mavericks were losing and their season was ending. And so yeah. Dirk and the, his teammates had a solid 45 minutes to just dwell on that fact, which is, which is wild to be that competitive and just sitting there knowing your season's going to end, but just sitting there and sitting there and sitting there. And Dirk, he gets called up to the press conference room and he's about to step out. You know, he had, he had just got dressed. He's the only one going there. And right as he walks out the door, he's in the, he, you know, he's at, a, uh, what is it, AT&T Center, uh, the, the Spurs locker room. Right as he's about to walk out of the locker room, he turns around and he looks at one of the attendants, one of the AT&T Center attendants, one of the local attendants, uh, sure. someone the Spurs hired, just a, just a kid. And he, like, calls him out by name and he's like, hey, like, good luck in school. Um, and then he does that to another guy who was in the locker room. So clearly, over the course of the series, they played four games there. Clearly, Dirk at some point had been like, hey, what's your name? What's up? What are you studying? What grade are you in? And remember that well enough that when everything is just heaping down on him, some part of him clicked in and was like, hey, let me, uh, I'm not going to see these guys again. I'm, you know, who knows that they're going to be here next season. Let me, let me be sure to, to say bye to him. So that, that's the story I always tell about him. Uh, that, that's the one that really stood out to me. I think it's a great he, story. I've never heard it? that from you. Well, it's it's in my book, so I need to read your book. Is what I'm hearing. Oh, wow! It, you know, <laughs> you, you've only, you've only had what five years. <laughs> I have your book. It's on my bookshelf. Man, I I I've read this. I just my brain is just. I, I'm, with, I'm with sure stuff. you have. It's honestly, Kirk. Like I think you have read it because it's the first chapter, and and even I believe that you probably got it through a few chapters. Right. And I'm going to tell anyone that has the book, read the whole thing. Um, Really, the first chapter and the last chapter are the two I'm proud of. If you have that book and you've never dove, dove into it, just read the first and last one. They're pretty good, and I think they hold up. Anyway, um, the, the story that sticks out to me personally is I got to sit down with him. Um, it was in Atlanta. It was my first season with The Athletic, first season traveling, his last season. And it's really the only time I had ever had a one-on-one, -on -one, like a truly one-on-one, -on -one, extended one-on-one, -on -one, not just me walking with him in route to the bus. But he sure. hadn't, he hadn't debuted, debuted yet. He was injured to start that year. He, most, he missed the first couple of weeks of the season. Uh, I think Maxi Clayble was also out. There's there somebody else who was also out. And so after a shoot-around, him and that other player, it might have been Dwight Powell, uh, him and that other player stuck around to work out. And Dirk's workout ended sooner. And so all of the Mavericks had left, but you know there was like three coaches and two security guys left over, and then these two players. And Dirk's just sitting there on a the sideline. And so I walk over to him and I have, you know, probably to this day, my only extended one-on-one -on -one chat. You know, I, I was not in the inner circle. I was not there in 1998 when Dirk debuted. There was no reason for Dirk to let me in. And I don't begrudge that whatsoever. I was not, you know, he had, he had friends and, and people and, and people he trusted. 
Um, and I had, you know, I, I was a, you know, even in, even that season, that was my first year traveling on a, on a beat. Um, but that, that was my moment. You know, I got a good 20, 25 minutes with him. I talked to him a lot about his injury and I ended up writing a story about that. Then I had some other stories I, I, I had ended up asking him about. And then I just remember that at least for a few minutes at the end, you know, I don't remember if my like recorder was rolling or not, but you know, I just kind of had got to, got to chat with him a little bit. Uh, Cause you know, he's, he's not doing anything. He's just sitting there. He's waiting for, you know, whatever teammate it was to, to finish his own workout. And uh, you know, they're all going to take a bus back together. I think they're going to like call an Uber, which I still don't know how NBA players like, you know, they, they, I, I think Uber XL was designed for them. Um, but, but, you know, <laughs> they're all, you know, he, he's just waiting and, and he's got time and, and he's just chilling and just, just the nicest dude. And, you know, I, I think I, I want to say he even asked like, so, so you're with the athletic now. And, you know, he had some awareness that I was, uh, you know, he knew I'd been a guy around for a while. I, I don't think that he to this day understands what Maz Ball is and, and what relation it has to SB Nation. Uh, Neither do honestly, we. Yeah, Neither God, do we. God, God help that man because like he shouldn't need to know that. I like I, I pray to him. I pray to him that he he does, he has never heard the term Vox Media in his entire life. Um, but but like you know he had some awareness that I was somewhere around and that I was like oh you know you're actually on the road traveling with the team. That's a new thing. Uh, so he asked me you know not not warm and fuzzy like you're my best friend and and he he shouldn't have been it should not have we been treat that. you like a person but he, exactly exactly sorry my dog is very excited that we're talking about Dirk the, you hear so many kind of unfortunate stories and I think more and more athletes are better about this but he, you know he's just he's in his night he's in his 21st year and he's talking to you just like you're a human being and he doesn't you know he didn't have to do that but but time and again from what i'm hearing from people all day long it's just this is the sort of stuff that made Dirk, Dirk different yeah I, I think that's right I, I think that's spot on is that and sometimes it's not even in a negative way when i say that some athletes just don't really view us on equal standings don't view us as peers because in some ways we're not um but but it's it's I guess the the difference is that when athletes view themselves as NBA superstar athletes, we are not their peers, and when they view themselves as just people whose job is NBA superstar athlete, but deep down their identity is I'm just a dude. Of course, they're going to look at other people and be like, okay, that's also just a dude, just like me. And I think it's very easy for NBA athletes to get into that mindset of I am a superstar. I am, you know, I send one tweet and 1000 people reply to me within 10 minutes. And of course it's easy to follow in that mindset. And Dirk never did. He, he never wanted to. Um, and he certainly never did. And I, I think that's, you know, not unique to him, but it is, um, it is who he is and it is, it is very much him. And it deserves to be acknowledged as many times over because once you got to that pedigree and that level, it, it did, I think, to some degree become increasingly rare for humans to operate as humans on that level. Yeah. And, you know, and, and this is why we tell stories. This is why, you know, you're to a degree, I'm sure why you're in media, because you want to share things about, you know, the athletes that you cover. And, you know, Dirk was around for such a long time. And, you know, I, I kind of like talking about Dirk in almost any opportunity because he, you know, as we get further and further away from it, his career lasted such a long time. I think that 
a specific segment of the population really only remembers like the end. And, you know, you want to talk about these things that last such a long time because he was a great dude the whole time. Never embarrassed the Mavs fans. He was just a – and I, I really like talking about it. I'm really looking forward to, to the game tomorrow night. Are you going to be there? I'm going to be there. I also have a big piece of Dirk stories, Dirk anecdotes, uh, anecdotes Dirk memories. Uh, oh. That's publishing Wednesday morning. Um, Outstanding. Dude, it's it's great. I've, I've, I've just been going through final edits. Uh, I've been known to promise stories that do not publish when I promise them to publish. This is publishing Wednesday morning. Um, you know, it's it's basically scheduled and it's really good. And I, I think that it, it's funny that that you talk about like storytelling and, and, and a lot of a lot of what I think I'm best at of this job is storytelling. And sometimes you almost feel like a historian where you go to one person. It, it's almost like a, a reverse game of uh, telephone where instead of the you know the object or the the subject becoming more and more distorted as you talk to more and more people you spark their memory and then you can take okay so one person tells me this story i bring it to another person in question they give me a few more details i bring those details back to the first person and they're like oh right that did happen like this and i remember this other aspect of it and it it builds and it builds and, and over time you actually have a more complete version of events um, and you have more people telling it to you. And, and that's, that's one of my favorite things about this job. I've really enjoyed those kind of historical or, or the stories that almost really do make me feel like a historian. Like I'm, you know, recording history, like I'm, I'm setting a record of what happened um, in, in the past and in setting a correct record about these people's lives. And, you know, sometimes it's Dennis Rodman, but sometimes it's Dirk Nowitzki who is fully, you know, the Rodman thing yeah, that was interesting to go back. But but the Nowitzki thing that that is like I, I genuinely like and in this person meant something to me, and so there is something a little extra special about being able to do that and, and going through the process of reporting out this story. Well, Tim, we'll be looking forward to that tomorrow, and really thank you for taking time out of out of your day, your busy day, to talk to me about Dirk stuff. You know what? I you know he's going in the Hall of Fame soon, and I'm sure we're going to rehash some of the same stuff. I don't care. I like talking about it every single time. I like because I hear something new every single time. I mean, I just had Dalton Trigg on a little while ago, and he told me a story. But before he was a reporter, he gave Dirk uh, his wedding invitation. Just kind of he and his wife just decided to do it, and then two weeks later, he got the wedding invitation signed and sent back. Like no reason for Dirk to do that. And it's just, I've just heard stories all day long of like Dirk just being a cool human. And like, it's really rewarding to hear that stuff. I'll, I'll listen to that sort of stuff all day. One. Yeah. I, I remember, I remember somebody telling me once what it's like to, um, to go to his mailbox, which, you know, if, if, uh, mail is addressed to Dirk Nowitzki sent to the Mavs offices, you know, they've, they've just got a place they collect it. And obviously Dirk gets, you know, a hundred times what any other person in the, you know, I don't know who would be mailing. I don't know. Dwight Howell or <laughs> or uh, Moses Brown stuff, uh, but people absolutely mail stuff to Dirk. Uh, I had a guy reach out to me, and I think he finally did this. But he but he wanted to share a um, a U.S. Army or, or some His U.S. Air military Force award. His yeah, Air Force yeah, that he got it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's on Twitter. Like I, I'm blanking on his name, but we, you know who he is. I, I know who he is. He's he's a good dude. We we talk uh, on Twitter from time to time. That was a super super cool thing. And like he he reached out to me about uh asking about how to go about this but i just remember like one, one time some somebody was telling some story about dirk he was like yeah he was in the office to uh to sign all his mail and respond to his all, all his mail and it was just like a, it was just a throwaway because it was just so assumed that 
yeah, Dirk's going to show up and take all this effing mail that he gets, like hundreds and hundreds of letters. And yeah, he's going to go through it and like, you know, sign something. And I'm sure he's got like five assistants, like helping, you know, make that efficient as possible. He's still showing up to do it. And that's a cool thing. And, and that really is who he is. Well, Tim, thanks again. I appreciate you taking the time and we'll talk soon. This has uh, been Kirk and Tim on Mavs Moneyball. Yes, sir. Read that story tomorrow. It will be up and I'm uh, I'm excited. All right, man. Have a good day. To finish off this podcast, I'm joined by Ben Collins of NBC News, who is uh, taking a break from uh, covering the crazy world to talk about something much more pure in Dirk Nowitzki. How are you tonight, buddy? I'm good, man. And you know what? That's what the word is. Like, Dirk is the most pure, uh, decent man. I think that we had uh, the ability to watch over the last 20, 30 years. We've just been very lucky people. So I'm very happy to talk about Dirk. A lot of times, yeah, we're talking about the state of the Mavs, and you and I have been kind of circling one another, trying to find time to talk about that, but we'll do that another day. What I want to know from you is, what was your first interaction with Dirk? Because for for those who don't know, uh, Ben has been a reporter for a very long time, in one way, shape, or form, or another, and he got to do some, what would you, what what do we classify it as, Ben? Uh, Child labor? (laughs) Okay, so tell us what you did, and then tell us about your first interaction with Dirk. Yeah, I, uh, I'm joking around. So, like when I was when I was a kid, I wrote a blog. Uh, when this is when the internet was like two or three pages deep about Mark Cuban, and it was like this very what sort of congratulatory blog. I was like, Mark, you're the greatest, and you're so handsome, and it's wonderful. And um, he invited <laughs> me to write for uh, the Mavericks website when he read this blog. So I, I did that for years. I did it when I was a child. I think I started when I was 12 or 13. That's and amazing. It was really... A really what year was this? This was in 2003, I think, was the start of it. So Okay, so we're talking like right as Dirk is just getting going. Yes, like I would say right when he's entering his uh, dominance phase, right? When he mm-hmm. turns from like a lanky three-point shooter exclusively into a multifaceted really interesting player like a like a legendary player right that's the year where we had nick van axel and Rafe france obviously steve Nash, oh. and one of the most fun teams of all time i just loved that team so much Me too. Um, and that's part of what that was about was how much i loved that team so um when the mavericks would come to boston uh they would give me press passes and i was 13 years old and just horrified and they would send me into the locker room to to talk to the players. And I, without pretty much any exception, all of these guys were extremely nice, really cordial, uh, and really open to talking. Uh, but Dirk was just another level. You know, he, he was just a really lovely guy. I remember, like, the three guys in my head there I remember being particularly just wonderful were Dirk, uh, Steve Nash, and Raja Bell, of all people. Um, but Dirk was on another level. And the first time I met him, there was a picture um, – of me that I think was taken weirdly enough by Al Whitley, the uh, current GM of the, of the legends. Um, <laughs> who was then an equipment manager for the, for the Mavericks, not a joke. And um, uh, Dirk's feet are in this giant mop bucket, like a, a mop bucket, but they barely fit in this mop bucket. And the mop bucket is filled to the brim with ice. Uh, Cause his ankles are his ankles. You know, sure. We progress. And uh, I am wearing 
I think like the baggiest khaki pants of all time. They were like Jinko sized khaki pants <laughs> and uh, Allen Iverson answer ones. Um, and uh, I, I'm take, diligently taking notes of probably the dumbest question ever asked to a person, but he was incredibly patient. Um, and just, a, just like I said, like just a lovely human being. Um, and then to get to watch him, that's like the blessing that we had as Mavericks fans. Um, you know, he was growing up 10 years ahead of me or whatever that was, 12 years ahead of me. And to get to watch him turn into literally a legend, like a, you know, a true, a true goat. Um, while I was just like graduating from high school and college um, was just a really formative thing in my life. He gave me so much motivation to just, you know, to try to be great at stuff. I, I got to say, you know, watching him progress from guy who was constantly written off and derided um, and, you know, labeled as a stiff or a soft or something and overcoming that by himself and winning a championship. Uh, it, it really is one of the best things I've ever uh, experience as a fan of any sport or of anything at all. And I, I hope that you have the same experiences. And I know, Kirk, I know you just sent me probably a archive. <laughs> no, it's somebody <laughs> taking one of your posts and posting it on the Dallas-Mavs.com forum and calling you a stupid kid. So yeah, you, was... the internet has been calling you names for yeah. 20 years. <laughs> yeah, I have a... I have a uh, the Malcolm Gladwell ten thousand hours in being called a stupid child. <laughs> oh God, I love absolutely. Uh, and right, by the way, I, I am an idiot. I am talking about how Keon Clark is better than Yao Ming in this, so I think it's probably <laughs> is reading through this. Uh, no, it's well, um, it was Pravda style propaganda pushed by uh, a child. Yep. Well, and you know the Mavericks for for everybody that I have had on today. Um, has kind of came into basketball during the the early really the you know the early 2000s you know if, if you're a Mavs fan like Doyle Raider was has been a Mavs fan his entire life he suffered through the 90s I I can't claim that I I moved to Dallas and I really started to love the Mavericks when Dirk came on board and it's it's just really it's been really wonderful hearing that he is as good if not better a dude than he has than he is a basketball player and and that's something that I've, you know, I wasn't really prepared for when I kind of started this today. Like you, we've we've read everything, you know, but we've seen the videos. It's like you know it, but you know, in your head, you just associate Dirk basketball first. That's that should be that that, and I'm sure he'd he'd be okay with that. But just understanding that he was also like just a really like kind person while being wildly competitive. There's just like something. Uh, there's something really comforting about that because it's it's some of these guys in in the world. A lot of people just turn out not to be exactly who you think they are, and it's it's, it's just it's nice to hear that. So that's the first time. So if if you were to say, you know, past that first time, what like lasting Dirk memory do you have that is your favorite? Whether it be something you know like the championship or something like really specific that happened over the 21 years we got to watch him. Yeah, I mean, the obvious answer is game two of the 2011 NBA Finals, right? Game That's, two? Okay, like yeah, this. I will I will watch this on YouTube constantly. It's the 15-point sure. comeback. Um, and they uh, somebody has clipped it up, so it's the last, like, five and a half minutes. So, you know, they're down by 15. And um, he's you can see he's already probably a little bit sick um, because he just doesn't look right. He's, like, a little... Mm-hmm. 
he he had famously had the flu later on in the series, but he just still doesn't completely look okay. Um, and you watch them start to figure out that they can win the game over these over these like four or five minutes when the arena is over it. They're like, you know, they, they don't think that this is a winnable game. Um, and it's it's a remarkable video. And then they're, you know, in my mind, indelibly, I'm, I'm sure everyone thinks of the step back, right, With when you think of Dirk. But I think of that, you know, spin move layup that he has on Chris Bosch at the end of that game with the left hand. Um, because that was the progression this guy took, right? This was a guy who came into the league, shot threes. Uh, everyone was insistent that he played a small forward because he couldn't, couldn't put weight on and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. This was a guy getting by a borderline Hall of Fame defensive five in Chris Bosch in the hardest possible moment to do that. Um, it, it is one of the, frankly, it is that that whole series to me is the most impressive individual performance I've seen other than Michael Jordan in basketball just is, I am, I will go to my grave thinking that. Um, and I'm sure we'll see some others like that in the future. Um, but I don't know if we will. I don't know if we will. And here's why it's so difficult nowadays to, to Dirk was drafted in 98 and then he didn't play his first game until 99 because of the lockout. He had 12 full seasons with the Mavericks until he won the title or it was 11, whatever it, it, was, it was double digit years with one team to, to failing, failing again, failing harder than before. And then almost fading into oblivion, despite the fact that the Mavericks were a 50 win team guys just don't do that anymore. Nobody does. Uh, yeah. It's, it's, it's very, you know, I just, I don't, I don't know if we'll see that again in our, in our lifetimes, like that sort of, sort of sports heroes journey. And I, I just, it's, it's something that I treasure the further we get away with it. And the only thing I'm really kind of disappointed about is that I was not really part of any Mavericks community whatsoever. Like I lived in DC by myself and made my wife watch all the games. Like nobody else I knew was a Mavs fan. So it's like, I didn't really get to experience that with anyone, but you know, as I've gotten older, there's just so many people out there who like, su- you know, not, you don't want to say suffered as a Dirk fan, but it's like, we we're out there fighting our own windmills and to watch that sort of moment, happen and then it just sort of dominate the conversation for the rest of the time like it's a little it's it's a little disappointing that the second half of Dirk's career wasn't quite as illustrious we can talk about that another day but it was it was very fun to to get to root for him and like to see you know all the stuff I don't know if you've gotten a chance I I recommend digging into various people's coverage of the press conference today like he's just so grateful and and pleased to be a part of stuff still and that's really neat to me yeah, and, and I do think, Kirk, an important thing to bring up is how he was viewed before that championship, where he was for a long time viewed as a, a good but not great player, you know, in, in the late 2000s, um, especially after that 2007 series and, mm-hmm. and, and the 2006 series, too, by the way. Like, you know, they, they people believe that he didn't bring, bring them across the finish line. There are a lot of reasons that season that that series went that way, and the referees were a part of it. And that was a big part of it. And then the next year, he really lost. Um, I, I, you know, he lost it emotionally, and he went to like 
the Australian desert or something. Remember this whole thing? Yes. Yeah, it's a walkabout. I posted it. If you go to to Mavs Moneyball, we did a roundtable. It ended up being like 2,500 words of people sharing their favorite Dirk memories. Yeah. Uh, our, guy, our guy Matthew wrote about the time he was on Punked, which was hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then I, I talked like my favorite Dirk moment. I couldn't really think of a moment, but I remember that article. And it was bought, it was in the Dallas Observer, I think. Like you yeah. actually have to go on the Wayback Machine, like the the – you have whatever the the web archive site is it's not up anymore and it's one of the more incredible pieces of sports writing i can really remember because it doesn't have a lot of dirt quotes it's almost told like like call me ishmael type type writing where where and and it's just i mean he was in pain and he couldn't and and what was so crazy is like he had a lot coming still like 2007 was not the worst of it for him Nope. I don't think by a long stretch. I mean, I think finding out that his his girlfriend later at the time was a con mm-hmm. artist, like he was he was just. I mean, you know, it's, as much as a pro athlete can suffer, Dirk Dirk suffered. I feel you know, and I'm really glad that he won the championship because it validate. Yeah. You know, it shouldn't have to validate, but you know, it's pretty much the arc of Mad Men. His career is his life. <laughs> like he goes, he completely loses his mind. He just like you know, he flees off to this other place. He's around all these like like trickstery weirdos. And, and then it just comes to him when it shouldn't. And I think that that's what's lost to people is that, especially as I was a mass fan in 2011, people largely bet against them in round one against Portland. Mm-hmm. And they should have, you know, that team was really good and they kind of had our number and they played a kind of basketball that, that trans, was translating really well towards the end of the season. And like our team was all right. You know, if you look at it on paper, it's just like, it's kind of like, all right, well, you know, we'll see what Jason K can do here. And, you know, nobody really thinks Jason Terry can be like, you know, the second scorer on this team. Um, right. I, I fervently did not believe that we could win until the middle of the Lakers series. And th- that's the thing with Dirk is that his narrative is a movie, even more so than like Michael Jordan's. Michael Jordan's was a straight line. His, like, that guy's narrative was that guy is a motherfucker and he is going to win this game mm-hmm. with Dirk. It was, it was really bumpy and people gave up on him. The Charles Barkley types, the punditry, they gave up on the guy and then they were forced to concede <laughs> this guy. That's really what's crazy. The yeah. concession. And then like Barkley who had known about Dirk forever and was, so, you know, tried to like, basically tried to get him to go to Auburn when he found yep. like when, when, and, and, but for Dirk, Dirk, like Barkley was horrible to Dirk and he was, and, on, on a professional level, but mm-hmm. then he was at Dirk's retirement and Dirk yeah. and he, and it's like Dirk's kind of capacity for more is, is what I like. One of the things that separates him, because you know, you talk shit about me the way Barkley did on national television. We're done. Yeah. I feel like <laughs> most NBA players are like that, right? Most NBA players just like, just, they, they light a few human beings, oh. most yeah. human beings. <laughs> You know, it's like you, it's, it's, and he's just, he's special. And, and yeah, to and, be able to channel that in that way was, you know, the narrative about 2011 is that, you know, there was this, this evil super team against this, you know, one layman or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it was, it was so much more than that. Dirk was a, uh, it, Dirk was everybody's failures combined and he just came, overcame it all. And that's why, like, we were talking about how you were in DC at the time, I was in LA at the time. But I was at I was at bars watching those games, and everyone in the bar was a Mavericks fan because people really didn't want the Heat to win, and people had seen this guy Dirk 
struggled for years in knowing he was good enough. Sisyphus. Yeah, exactly. And getting shit on for no reason by by all of these all of these people. And he really did personally overcome it and to have the illness at the end and overcome it. uh, It was to me, it it was like I was saying, it's just more of a movie than any athletic tale that I've seen in my lifetime. And to live through it for 20 years, um, we just owe a lot to the guy. I, I, um, I really it's it's hard to explain this to uh, the myriad of girlfriends that I've tried to explain it to over my lifetime, but it is <laughs> remarkably motivational to see what this guy went through. And uh, I love Luca to death. He is my beautiful son. Uh, but this that guy was born with it in a way that Dirk wasn't. Yeah. And uh, Dirk absolutely fought for this. And it's just, uh, I am very excited to see his number retire tomorrow. Really looking forward to it too. Ben, I've, I've taken more of your time than I said I would. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Uh, we'll have to have you back. I don't know, probably around all-star break, maybe to see if we can figure out what the heck's going on with this team. But uh, thank you very much. All right. Yeah, Maybe we'll have some idea by then, but currently I have no idea. So we'll, we'll see. I hope so. All right, guys, this has been Kirk Henderson and eight other guests. Uh, MavsMoneyBall.com. Please go and subscribe to the Mavs Moneyball podcast. If you're just finding this rate and review as well. I'm very grateful for all the support and I hope you guys enjoy this game. Uh, It's going to be something we should all remember.